0: Hi, friends. This is Cody. I'm one of the hosts of The Uncommon Cast. I'm so glad that you're listening today. We have kind of a different episode this week. In early February, we had an event called Good Night, and it was so good <laughs> that we uh, that we wanted to share the audio with you. It was a cool conversation that we had about rest, and uh, you'll, you'll hear from our team, but you'll also hear from people who attended the event. Uh, they get up and they share their thoughts on rest after we throw out a question. Um, now the room mic that we had did a pretty good job of capturing that, but you might have to turn it up a little bit at those points, just a heads up. Now, I know that some of you out there are listening from around the world. You're not in San Diego. I, I think we even have listeners in Italy, right? Ciao. <laughs> That's all the Italian I know. Um, and it's probably, probably said it terribly anyways. But, uh, if you're not in San Diego, this episode is a great way to experience, What our events are like. Well, one of our events, uh, not all of our events are like this, but this is a great way to experience a good night event, which is very similar to our Wine and Words events as well. So, we love all of you out there listening to the Uncommon Cast from around the world, and we hope that this episode makes you feel like you're more a part of the Uncommon community. Now, if you are in San Diego, we would love for you to come to the next event we have coming up, which is another good night. And it's on March 15th at 6.30 p.m. at Mainstream Bar and Grill. And it's free. It's a free event. Just show up. Now, we do we do encourage you to eat and drink because the venue really does love if we bring some paying customers in. But that's not required. If you want to show up with a full belly, that's great. If you want to bring your friends, that's even better. Um, <laughs> so we, we highly encourage you to come to that next event. We're actually going to be talking about work. So we talked about rest in this episode that you're about to hear. and our next event, we're talking about work. Do we work to live? Live to work? How about finding life in our work? Is there something spiritual about work? That's what we're going to be talking about on March 15th, and we really hope that you can make it. You can learn more about that on our website, uncommongoodsd.com slash events, or catch us on social media at Uncommon Good SD. So we hope you can come, and we really hope that you enjoy this episode today. Thank you so much for listening. Here it is. All right,
1: so tonight is a really fun night. We are um, tackling a topic that is, been churning for a while in our brains and while we might bring some knowledge very limited knowledge into the room um, y'all have a lot of knowledge on a variety of topics and if we want you to connect you can't just be staring at us all night you need to like actually turn to the people that are across the table from you and um, share a meaningful conversation so that's the point Totally. Why and we the, make you talk.
2: The first question we're going to ask at your table actually is a conversation that we've been in with Uncommon Good on our podcast. Anyone podcast listeners out there, um, we started off the year with Ken Blanchard talking about um, how to live a year, um, to enter a new year with goals and aspirations and what are smart ways to do that. And then we just released another podcast where we... Um, We interviewed an author who's behind uh, One Word. There's three authors behind this book called One Word, and it's about theming your year intentionally around a word that holds deep value to how you want to live your life in that year. So we've had these great conversations about entering the new year with all of our hopes and dreams and goals and drives um, to live differently in this year.
1: So our question for you guys to turn to each other is, what do you need more of in 2020? As you kind of stand, we're not quite at the very beginning, but what do you need more of in 2020? And follow-up question, if you get through that one, what's the greatest obstacle that's keeping you from that thing that you need more of? All right, so go ahead and turn to somebody you're with and discuss, all righty. So what do you guys need more of? Who wants to share? Entering 2020 in All right, the back, got a I, back. I can't back. see your head. Oh,
3: hello,
1: free. <laughs> what do you need more of? Understanding. Mm. Understanding. That's a good one. Understanding. All right. Who else? I'm, I'm to my oh yeah. Okay. Yes. What's your obstacle? I'm
2: three teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to understand them, or do you want them to understand you? Is that the drive? Medical. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> that does sound like a struggle. I don't have any struggle advice for you.
0: All
1: right, who else? What are you hoping for more of this year? What do you need more of? Yes. 30 second hugs with my wife. 30
2: second hugs. So like... Wait. Can I... I got to... Rachel, I'm going to... There's I'm a sure follow-up
1: to that.
3: Is that... Okay. Is, go so, ahead.
2: So we went to... We went to a date night last night, put on by Thrive. Mike Foster spoke, and it, it was awesome. And they, they had us do one of those things. And instead of a 30-second eye gaze, it was, um, you had to stand up and for 30 seconds hug your spouse. For this whole room, so everyone stood up. And for 30 seconds, just hug your spouse. Mike Foster was making the point that about 20 seconds in, you just chill. And so they like there's a challenge called three three thirty, and so three times a day for thirty seconds you just hug your spouse for thirty seconds, so I'm there with Rachel who loves things like this, and and we stand up, and and I hug her and, you know it's one of those like, eh, like I could feel her arms on my back it was not and she's like I hate this this, no. And I'm like, come on, it's, it's 30 seconds, right? And she goes, ah, oh, no, no. And like, she's, like, releasing. <laughs> she's she's repelled? Is re- that what you're saying? Finally, within 10 seconds in, it's, like, the buddy hug with one arm. <laughs> I'm like, I think something's wrong with our
0: marriage.
3: She won't even hug
2: me for 30 seconds. So if any therapy needs to happen at that table over there, Michael is a part of leading the thing, so... You know, ask Rachel about a relationship. What's going at home? She
1: also yeah. really loves when everybody looks at her. It's her favorite thing.
2: Thanks for letting me put you in a spot.
1: Right? Um, who else? What do you need more of besides thirty-second hugs? That that. Oh, Brad. Yeah. Deep conversations. I like that. The Deep more conversations. You have them,
3: the more you want them. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Deep conversation. I like that. Anyone else dying to share? Yes, Gally. Freedom.
3: Freedom. I like that. All right. That's
1: good. Okay.
0: All right. So, well, that will lead us into what we're talking tonight. Tonight, we're entering this new year, thinking about the things that we want in our lives, the the goals, the hopes, the dreams that we have. And in the midst of, like, all of this, hurry and the hustle of life, trying to accomplish these things, Uh, we want to talk about that tension in our souls that we have between the hurry, the work, the hustle, and rest. So this past uh, Wednesday, who listened to our podcast, the most recent uh, episode? Okay, okay. Well, I mean, just maybe if you guys could listen to it. Don was there. there. Uh, there. Don just wanted to point it out. She raised her head and said, I was there. I'm just saying. I wish there was a little bit more hands, but that's okay. It's okay. Um, But it was with an author, as as Ryan talked about, uh, Dan Britton, and he gave us this really, this really good phrase that I've been chewing on this week, and it says we drift toward complexity, but we drive toward simplicity, and it's the idea that we just, if we just drift through life, things are going to become more complex. They're going to get out of whack. They're going to get out of hand. They're going to pile up. They're going to be more hurried.
1: More complicated. More more layers. Less
0: (laughs) restful. Okay? Mm -hmm. But if we drive towards simplicity intentionally, we're able to be intentional about the things we give our time to. right? And so I have, like, I've been on this journey for, like, a couple years. A few years, actually. So a few years ago, life got super complex for me. It was, like... Going a mile a minute, and in order to get, it felt out of control. So in, in order to get some control, I did something that I've never done before. I opened up a spreadsheet, and I was like, oh, I, I wasn't into spreadsheets before, but now I am. And He's a big fan now. A big fan, big yes. fan. And uh, I tried to make a schedule, and and I I I put everything in that schedule, even eating, driving times, you know, sleeping time with family, all of that stuff, school, work. And what I realized in making that schedule is that I had absolutely no margin whatsoever. Like I was overscheduled. And so I had, at the same time, a, a pastor in my life was releasing these devotionals about um, simplifying and saying no to things and a Sabbath and rest. And I'm reading these things and, and I'm realizing, man, I got to slow down a little bit. And so I began the arduous task of eliminating things from my life, saying no to things, having those conversations, those hard conversations to say, I can't do this anymore, I can't be a part of this team anymore, or I can't be a part of this volunteer opportunity or whatever, even changing my school schedule and, and things like that. And it wasn't until recently that that rest even entered the equation that I realized, oh man, I've I've, I've done this work of driving towards simplicity, but I have not included rest in that. And I'm so glad that Dan gave us that language of of driving towards simplicity because it's active and it requires us to slow down, unplug, and eliminate hurry. And so that's kind of like what we're talking about tonight. And it leads to
1: rest. That's right. So um, we always like to kind of marry a few things when we come to uncommon good. Like Uh, A lot of us maybe have had experiences where we grow up in churches and they might throw out some ideas like, hey, it's really important for you to rest. And you're like, yeah, that sounds right. Well, we don't just want you to take our word for it. So rest is not just the spiritual truth. We were made for rest and we actually physically need rest. And there's all sorts of science that backs that up. See, if you go back... Man, not even that long ago, but let's go back a long, long time ago. Um, There used to be natural rhythms of rest that were unavoidable, right? Um, The sun went down and work had to stop. Um, You left work and you went home for the day and you did the things at home that happened and then the sun went down and you went to bed, right? (laughs) Right. But then technology happened, and I'm not even talking about smartphones. I'm talking about the light bulb, (laughs) okay? The light bulb happened, and suddenly it was one step towards the elimination of rest, right? No longer is there kind of this natural thing that happens every day that's unavoidable that drives our bodies towards rest. Now we can manufacture light that lets us continue to work. take that another step, right? I mean, we're skipping over lots of technological advances, right? <laughs> but now we have, we have this thing, and uh, we can literally connect instantly with people around the globe. So we are expected, I was reading one thing, and this was a really interesting fact. Um, before cell phones even, when a, when a phone was connected to the wall and somebody called you and you didn't answer, there was all sorts of excuses why that was completely acceptable. You were in the car, you were busy. It wasn't convenient for you to answer the phone at that time. And it was expected that we were available when it was convenient for us. Well, now that table has turned. Now we expect people to be be available when it's convenient for us, (laughs) right? So if I need to get a hold of Ryan, I expect that he's gonna be available when I need him to be available. And if he's not, that is frustrating, and I can't imagine why, because he carries his thing around with him all the time, right? Um, So, so much has changed in the way that we approach work, and the way that we are um, connected globally, constantly. Um, Technology has eliminated so many of the natural rhythms of rest in our lives
2: because always being connected is always being on, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: right? There There is no disconnect.
1: That's right, and I know people who work here, and they largely are dealing with people on the East Coast, so they have to be available at three in the morning because that's when work starts on the East Coast, you know? Or people that deal with people in other countries, and it has just really changed the way that we work, and the way that we live, and the way that we rest. And here's the problem with that. Our brains are not designed to function with constant stimulation. Studies show that this constant stimulation actually leads to stress, obesity, anxiety, all of these other things simply because even in our moments of rest, quote unquote, we're often still inputting things into our brain because that's the, that's just the world that we live in. I mean, I know, speaking for myself, if I'm driving, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's really quiet. Let's find a podcast. Yeah, The
0: Uncommoncast. <laughs>
1: yeah. Let, let me take this moment to recommend to you, The Um. Or I'm on the phone. If I'm sitting down, I'm, like, looking at Facebook, right? There are very few moments in the day when I actually let my brain stop. And Dr. Leaf, who is a neuroscientist, so she's somebody that studies how the brain works, Um, she has a lot to say on this topic. Um, She has a a podcast. If you're interested, we can um, send out that information, but she recommends what she calls thinker moments. And they're actually the opposite of what you think they are. There are a few moments every hour. It could be 30 seconds um, that you just stop and literally let your mind wander. You don't think about anything specifically and you don't, Not think about anything specifically. You just let your brain travel down these natural paths. So you can daydream or meditate. You just cease input. And what she says this does is it helps your brain reboot. You know, just like every once in a while you have to, like, turn off your phone because it's gotten all wacky. Our brain basically needs the same thing. It needs a reboot. And she's shown that those thinker moments actually Help our brain heal. Isn't that interesting? So here's a quote from her. She says, we need downtime to function optimally. To cope with the demands of life, our minds and brains need to internally reboot, which can only happen when we are alone with our thoughts in these thinker moments. We literally need to switch off all external stimuli, giving our thoughts some quality time, or our mind and brain will just not function at the level needed for success. Contrary to popular belief, the mind does not grind to a halt when you're doing nothing. Spontaneous thought processes, including mind-wandering, creative thinking, and daydreaming arise when thoughts are relatively free from focused thinking and external influences. And when we take the time to switch off what's going on around us and just think, we improve our ability to focus, which in turn increases creativity. She also says that it increases Productivity and our ability to problem solve. So there's all sorts of um, studies that she has done that has shown that just stopping for a moment and kind of giving our brain that natural reboot or pra- like doing a practice of daydreaming, which is kind of fun and foreign to us when we're like constantly thinking of productivity um, is so helpful for our brains. And so here we have another question for you guys before we continue on. Where do you see technology, anywhere from light bulbs to smartphones, impacting your ability to rest? And that's gonna be different for all of us, but where do you see it personally, um, that technology has made it difficult for you to find restful moments throughout the day?
2: All right, I love I love this that you guys are going on. I would love to hear um, some of the ways in which uh, technology or any obstacle is actually blocking you for rest. Anyone wanna share something? Um, point out some way in which in which they're being blocked from rest in life. Go. My children call in the middle of the
3: night.
2: Your children call in the middle of the night. <laughs>
1: Okay, let's be fair. If you go to bed at 7 o'clock, then
3: <laughs> <laughs> like. It's my my other daughter.
2: Rest is 7 o'clock bedtime. Are you eating dinner at 4 o'clock? Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> All right. That's right, 7 to 7.
2: It's <laughs> because you don't care.
3: No, problem. Problem.
2: Yeah, right? What else? What are some other uh, ways in which technology or life as we know it are, are being obstacles to your rest? Amanda?
3: Having
2: work emails on the phone. Work emails on the phone. Yes. yes.
3: Yeah.
2: Do you even have those? Are they passive or do you have push notifications that alert you? Okay, so no, no alerts. You've held back from the alert, but you still have them sitting there. Yeah. What other things?
1: When you're on a group text and you have two daughters. <laughs> yes. I feel attacked. There's here. I feel attacked.
2: Grouped group text threads. Absolutely. <laughs> that are, just are ping, ping, ping ping. It ping. took
1: him a while to realize that when he left the conversation, it notified us.
0: <laughs>
3: it says,
1: Dad has left the conversation.
3: <laughs>
2: it's because he doesn't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> Way in the back, oh. Yes.
1: <laughs> Good, because we can't see
3: you. <laughs> No one do any stand up jokes right now. Yeah. You know, just you go do it. <laughs> that went well, right? But well, actually it really did because after that they never t- they said, Oh my gosh, Jimmy needs to drink a wine at six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> well done. So I'm just telling you. It, That's
1: awesome. Boundaries can be set. It.
3: Night, play night, play and, I
1: have to and my wine
3: And my wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Well, way
2: more oftentimes, um, we have a lot of internal subconscious oppositions to rest, um, and you may have grown up with um, with a work ethic drilled into you that actually opposes rest and makes you feel bad for rest, guilty, guilty for rest. We um, we live in a in a culture of um, value is equated to productivity, right? That your value is greatly determined by at the end of the day, what did you get done? And um, that is what brings us success, right? In all those and things. you know
1: what is interesting? Not all cultures value that thing, right? right. That's that, true. That, That's like a really interesting thing to learn as you travel around the world, like our culture is so productivity driven and like, what did we accomplish? Other cultures actually have different value systems.
2: And yeah, and time actually, our use of time is a big one that as you travel, you see different cultures and there are different um, values with how we spend time. Mm -hmm. But we live in a productivity driven culture that says time is for getting things done and when you do not get things done, that devalues even who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up, I I remember this from a young age, and and I don't know where this proverb got so drilled into me, but it's this. And I'll tell you that the second I lay down, or if I find myself even just doing nothing for a bit, even to this day, I begin to hear the words. Um, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity to your soul. So yes, okay, that's a proverbs, it's in chapter six. A little sleep, a little summer, a little folding of your hands at rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity for your soul. So are actually scarcity of, of things in your life. And so I heard that and it was so drilled into me. And I remember back, like looking in in middle squad, this youth pastor, which now it makes total sense why Ralph had eyes that bugged out. (laughs) (laughs) It it always looked like he was about to pop. Um, He's the one, he drilled this into me, but he also said this, you'll have plenty of time to sleep when you're dead, which is absolutely true. Anyone hear that mantra in life? Okay, yeah, you'll have plenty of time to sleep when you're dead, so get it done now. Forgo rest, forgo sleep, forgo any folding of your hands to rest and sleep and slumber, right? Um, So that poverty won't come upon you like a bandit, and that you will get things done because, you know, in time, you'll be dead and you can rest then, right? (laughs) So that, but we live in a society that you may have had words differently, but can anyone relate to that drive of productivity that opposes rest, Mm -hmm. right? that you will say at the end of the day, I am going to set aside not getting things done so that I can get things done and prove my value this day. Um, we love to call it work ethic because that's the positive spin on this hyper activity of valuing ourselves based on what we produce and the opinion of others, right? So we—that that is one of our greatest excuses to rest as we know it and we have We have other good excuses too, so we we wrote down some, uh, some of the other why we why we don't rest. Um, Oftentimes too, we equate rest with sleeping, and it is sleeping is really nice, and like we all wish we would have more time, and that's one of our other excuses. If we just had more time, if we just had more time, but we all knew that if we had, if you ever find yourself, I wish I had ten more hours to to the day, right? Get so much done. Um, we would fill that with so many more things that again, we would be asking for another 10 hours because then Brad, you could learn your violin in those 10 hours, read the other five books. And at the end of those extra 10 hours, you would still not be able to do all the things that you wish you could do. So we have this excuse in our heads that says, if I only had more time, but we, we all would fill that time Mm -hmm. and sleep is far. I mean, rest is far more than just sleep. our souls and though we probably all need more sleep in our lives too Mm
3: -hmm.
1: so one of the things that we want you to start considering as we enter further into this conversation is this point that rest is not the same as sleep Mm -hmm. they're different they can be right there can be a venn diagram where they overlap (laughs) in the middle but they're different things so we want you to take a moment and talk amongst yourselves what feels like rest to you what besides sleep feels like rest to you where you finish doing that thing and you're like I feel refreshed yes all right go ahead and share together and then we'll have you share with us all right so another thing another excuse that we employ these days um besides time besides our need for productivity um Another thing that we tell ourselves is that um, busyness is good, right? We actually value our busyness. How often when um, somebody asks, how are you doing? Do you answer, oh, I'm so busy. (laughs) And maybe you are and maybe you're not, but, but we understand, as Ryan was saying, that our culture values productivity and therefore it values busyness Kind of whatever that looks like. It just like we are occupying our time, and that means we are um, doing well. We wear our busyness like a badge of honor. Um, and here's something that's really fascinating. I've been listening to this podcast lately called The Happiness Lab. Has anybody out there listened to The Happiness Lab? Okay. So here's what I love. She is um, the. The producer of this or the the main person on this Happiness Lab is Dr. Lori Santos and she is a professor of psychology at Yale University. And one of her main findings and she was prompted to study this as she saw a rise in depression among college students who had just accomplished their lifelong goal of getting into Yale University, right? They're at Yale and now all of a sudden like they're depressed. They're not doing well. And so she started to study more and more about what actually makes us happy. And she found our brain often fools us about what will actually make us happy. So it tells us this thing is going to make me happy when in fact almost the direct opposite is what's going to make you happy. Here's an example. We Our alarm goes off at 6 in the morning and we had scheduled to get up and work out or we had scheduled to get up and journal or whatever something that was going to be good for us in some way and it was very early in the morning our brain tells us what will actually be good for you right now is 30 more minutes of sleep (laughs) hit that snooze button because what's going to make you happy is sleeping for 30 more minutes and in actuality The exact opposite is true. What will make us happier is getting up and working out or getting up and journaling or doing whatever that thing was that we had decided to set some time away while it's like, no, you're wrong. No, no. I know. (laughs) So here's the thing. Our brain tricks us and it tells us the thing that's going to make us happy is actually not the thing that's going to make us happy, if that makes sense. So... In my opinion, rest falls squarely into this category for us because we think, well, okay, let me speak as an extrovert here. As an extrovert, I think, man, what's going to make me happy is saying yes to that fun event. It's adding one more thing to my schedule. It's doing more things, having more experiences. That's what's going to make me happy. Right, that whole FOMO mentality. If What's going to be really awful, what's going to feel badly is if I miss out on this thing. And in actuality, it's probably the opposite. What's going to actually make me happy is some downtime and some rest. But our brain has this way of fooling us and tricking us into thinking that busyness determines our value and determines our happiness. How many things are on our schedule?
2: So we want. So what, like so what with all this business? There's there's obviously a counter to this. Um, how do we then rest, and what is what is our drive from rest, and and uh, this is not simply um, this is not simply relevant today. It's actually been relevant for a really long time. Um, while we were talking about this and preparing for this. Um, a quote came up from Walden, and now how many of you have read Henry David Thoreau and Walden? It's a long time ago in school, it was for me. Um, but there is there is one quote which I've heard so many people that have been impacting in my life say, and thank you, and it's been, um, it was pulled from Henry David Thoreau. And uh, let me give you the context of why he came about doing this. Basically. Many a years ago, um, far before the technology onsla- onslaught of connectedness that we know today, um, Henry David Thoreau was also deeply impacted by the busyness of life. And so he came to a point where in the daily grind of trying to be productive and making it and making it and being successful and all these things, he was like, that's it. I need to revisit what is the purpose of life what is what is the thing that means the most and and honestly i can't get to that truth without disconnecting so here's a quote from walden that i went that i want to read to you that drove to his reflections on life and meaning and purpose right it says i went to the woods i went to the woods because i wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and to see if i could not learn and see if I could not learn, sorry, I just dropped, um, what life had to teach and not um, not come about this before I come to die. So let me, let me read that again. I wish to live deliberately, to fl- front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, to discover that I actually had not lived. He goes to about this place to go to find out before he dies what it means to truly live. Because the pace of life was blocking so blocking any time to deeply reflect on what means most in life. And I've heard it said so many times that one of the greatest regrets of life is that when you come to the end and realize that you have never truly lived. There's even a quote from Braveheart that is actually pulled from Henry David Thoreau. And it's just said by Mel Gibson in a way cooler outfit, and we remember that, (laughs) right? The speed of life is a detriment to our soul. Um, We often, you may have heard the phrase too, that um, it is good to be a person with a schedule, but not not to have the schedule have you, right? We all have schedules, but oftentimes the schedule actually has us. And it drives us rather than us making our calendars, right? Um, the speed of life is a detriment to soul and this this is now going to segue to see where it hits spiritually um there's a book we're going to recommend to you later we're going to give out some books tonight but it starts off with this story of um of a a couple of authors speaking John Ortberg is a pastor up at a great church in the Bay Area he is a, a renowned Christian author um and he was, pastor, he was pastor of a huge church in Chicago that was just cutting edge on all things megachurch. Um, at that point in his life, John Ortberg was absolutely just destroyed by his schedule. Um, feeling so much that even though he was speaking of life connected with God every week, he was actually feeling like he had no life because of the pace of life. And so he calls his mentor, a guy named Dallas Willard. And if you're not familiar with Dallas Willard, he's amazing. Um, He was uh, head of the philosophy department at USC. Um, He's known in in all the scholarly academic world as that, but he was also one of the most prolific Christian authors reflecting on theology and the orthopraxy, the practicing of following Jesus. And what does that mean? So John Ortberg called Dallas Willard and they had a relationship like this, a mentor relationship. And John Orberg says, look, here's, here's what's happening. How, how am I, with this pace, supposed to be who I want to be? Um, because I'm being what everyone else wants me to be, but I, I'm feeling like I'm not being who God has called me to be. And uh, it, says, it says, as in the book, you'll read, you'll read about this, but there's a long pause because apparently Dallas Willard always had long pauses before he said anything, which is probably <laughs> great wisdom in that. And um, and he said to John, he said, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, period. And there was a long pause. And John Ortberg said, is, is that it? Is that it? And, uh, and all he heard was, yep, that's it. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Because what Dallas Willard was taking from at that moment were earlier quotes from like C.S. Lewis who actually said that if, if the devil can't get you to do bad things in life, he's just gonna make you busy, um, <laughs> right? And, uh, and then later, other authors in psychologist, Carl Jung, who came up with the introvert, extrovert thing and actually came up with the whole Myers-Briggs thing he says we don't even need the devil because the devil is busyness, and the greatest, the greatest damage to our spiritual mm-hmm. life is hurry. So Dallas Willard, when he said, if there is one great evil to your life, to your spiritual life and your connectedness with God and purpose in life, is this, is this driver called hurry, and it is damaging our souls. So
1: now that's really interesting because I think for a lot of us, at least for a lot of my life, religion felt like an added stress. It felt like another thing that I needed to accomplish, another box that I needed to check, another thing I needed to be good at, right? So
2: Yes, (laughs) and being on the churchy side, and like many of you, most of you know our background, our context, I've spent 15 years of my life making more and more programs for church people to go to to enhance their spiritual life right. and to make me feel like I was a valued person yeah. for my paycheck. And, um, like, right. you know, the more programs, the more valuable you are. So churches drive you yes. to that, too. More more and more, right. more.
1: So rest and religion have not been something that have coexisted very well. In fact, I recently had an, a, an experience... Where um, my kids were going to a kid program and they were assigning the kids some little homework assignments throughout the week, which is great, you know. But, you know, my daughter's seven, my son's nine. Like, I wasn't super worried about them filling out the little worksheet for their Wednesday night class, you know. And they came home and um, my son told me, and luckily he knew better, but he was like, Mom, they told us that if I didn't if we didn't do the homework, then God was not happy with us. And I was like, but that like, okay, so that was a very overt message about how religion drives the doing and the busyness and the checking of the boxes. I think that is an example of the message that we pick up if we have been around religion, even sniffed it out at any any point in our life. There is this sense in which um, religion is just one more thing that drives our busyness. You know, if we're not at all of the things, if we don't get to church on Sunday morning, if we aren't in the Bible study, if we aren't making, you know, all, it just heaps upon us this guilt and this busyness. And the fascinating thing is that most of us have learned to equate that with Christianity, with religion, with Jesus. But Jesus modeled a very different way. Um, if you Ryan was saying something earlier about how, okay, who is the who is the author or the speaker that you were quoting about? Um, qu- uh, no, no, no. About the way his words in the way.
2: Oh, that was Eugene Peterson. Okay,
1: so Eugene Peterson was saying that if we don't if we divorce Jesus's words from Jesus's kind of way of living from his way of being then we get into real deep trouble very quickly. Um,
2: We get into straight religion. We get into religion, And a disconnect of how spirituality can fit with today's world.
1: Right. But the way that Jesus modeled um, is partly what made him so different and so dangerous, right? Like this way of slowing down, this way of taking time with people, this way of... Disconnecting, even when you might be needed, um, was very counter, even to the religious customs of the day.
2: So let me set the the Jesus context, Jesus. right? The Jesus Jesus context. He was a he was a, a traveling rabbi, a wandering sage. So this. People before they identified them or made the jump to seeing him as a savior or the very embodiment of God. He was a traveling rabbi and a wandering sage who offered great wisdom. And if you were to press Jesus, many of us, no matter how close we are in spirituality with Jesus, if you were to press Jesus on what was the most important thing, he would come, he would say, what? Does anyone know The greatest commandment. Out of all these commandments, Jesus, what is the most important thing? Love, Love, right? To love God and then to love others. And there's a lot of writing about how love is the antithesis of hurry and rush. That they are like oil and water. That hurry cannot actually create the foundation or the place to express love. Because we all know in our most hurried states... We are not very loving. Basically the the opposite. Imagine like getting the kids out of the house, getting anywhere like just, you're late for something. So, yeah. so the oil and water and hurry and love are just the antithesis. And Jesus was always saying in this crazy pace that actually upset people, that he's love, joy, and peace is, is what this gospel will bring to your life. And even when people wanted Jesus to show up at times, for people were dying, right? And Jesus goes, I'm I'm just going to talk with this person a little longer. And people are like, Jesus, go. Your best friend, Lazarus, he's like on his deathbed. Jesus, I'll be there in a couple days. (laughs) Like, that just seems careless, rude, Rude. Rude. laxadaisical. I don't know if I ever get that word right.
1: Wow. See, I knew.
2: I butchered it. Rachel is an English teacher. (laughs) She mocks my language all the time. (laughs) I know. I, I miss it. I like always get it close, but it's like off. Which makes you even look dumber. I know. <laughs> but I'm going to stick with lazadaisical. No,
0: it, it works with Lazarus. That's you know? La- right.
2: That's why, the yeah. Lazarus thing. Connection. Okay. It threw you are. <laughs> so, but this traveling sage seemed to offer to a very, a very rushed world this way of saying, relax. And in fact, when Jesus, this traveling rabbi, the way he Went about Sabbath was different than the religious ways of people at the time. And they were saying, What are you doing on Sabbath? And Jesus is saying, Follow my ways, follow this.
1: Well, because interestingly, not unlike today, the people, the earnest people who were trying to follow God's way back when Jesus was around, They had come up with rules upon rules upon rules upon rules that needed to be followed in order for for you to be considered a good person, right? It's like all we want to know, earnest people, whether where you are in your spiritual journey, you're like, how do I live a meaningful life and be a good human, right? That's like the main question that theology is trying to answer. And in Jesus' day, they had come up with, thousands of answers to that question that answers around rest like yes the rules for rest yeah rest (laughs) had rules you're just like oh my gosh i just need a break you know and so in comes jesus into that environment and he just kind of blew that up
2: so there's these words It's it's from it's from matthew 11 and jesus is speaking and this may be the opposite of what you've experienced religion saying to your life um But it has been one of my favorite and most needed words in life that I'm sure many of you, this will be like water to a thirsty soul. Um, Jesus speaks this in Matthew 11. I'm going to read it a couple times. But see if this speaks to and offers another way, a different way, a Jesus way to a rushed and hyper-connected world. This is what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to give you another version in just a little bit, because uh, oftentimes... um, I don't know your relationship with your Bible if you just read one, um, one translation. Um, it is good just to throw this, it is good to read multiple translations of scripture. I think you get a better understanding of the different ways that people have paraphrased um, God's word, the translation of scripture from, from Greek or Hebrew to English. And so I'm going to read this one again. We're going to read another one too. But close your eyes and maybe you need to hear this as an encouragement from Jesus to your soul. Come to me,
0: But I remember when I read it the first time, I was like, what, what is a yoke? <laughs> Does it <that> mean, <laughs> what's a yoke? <laughs> yeah, I tell you a yoke. Yeah. I i to tell you a yoke? Yeah, what's brown and sticky? <laughs> what's brown and sticky? Oh it's no, you're, you are stick. going for it. A stick, okay, no, that's okay.
1: <laughs> Jonah literally told me that like yesterday. Yeah,
0: I, you know, and I, truth be told, like I looked up the lamest joke that I could find. Before I said that. Anyways, that so, makes
1: it worse. Yeah, I know.
0: I know. I'm not witty enough to even have a terrible joke. Um, so this this idea of a yoke. I mean, it, literally, it's the it's the thing that they put on an ox to, to pull the, the plow. Um, but in in Jesus' time, he was calling to to mind some familiar language that uh, it, that rabbis used, and it was a term associated with the teachings and the ways of a rabbi, and it was the the things that he would put onto his students to follow in his way. Um, And often the yoke came with certain rules and rituals that they lived by in in order to please God. Uh, But the intriguing things about Jesus is that um, he wasn't coming with a new set of rules. He wasn't coming with ways to follow God better or please God better. He was coming... With a message of love and acceptance for all humanity. Um, he came declaring that, that, that his kingdom was at hand. It's here and now. Um, that the work was already done. That he had done the work. And that his yoke, his, the, what he was putting on you was easy and light. The Father was already pleased with you. Follow me and rest. Um, and uh, it was full of rest and grace. And and we talk about that a lot at Uncommon Good because um, the good news of Jesus isn't particularly good if it has no impact on our lives here and now, right? If it's just about living this good, perfect life and then one day, you know, we die and go to heaven and then it'll be great. Which, living a good, perfect life, who's doing that? (laughs) Not me. Um, But these are the reminder that this life That Jesus offers isn't a burden. It's not a weight on our shoulders. It's 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 Him carrying it for us, right? Um, There's rest for us weary souls, and I love that language. You know, grace for us burdened people, hurried people, hustling people, (laughs) tired
2: people. Can I say like there's such a paradox in this though, because it's not just Jesus saying, "Hey, I'm going to remove work for you." Because the paradox in it is he's saying a yoke, which is actually designed for work, for getting stuff done, right, is actually this one, this way, this method of still getting work done, because it is a yoke, mm-hmm. is going to feel light and without burden. Because maybe you're not valued by that. Mm-hmm. There's another way that you're getting value. Oh, can I say one more th- one more thing? No. That you just remind me. Okay. Because no. I'm super excited about this. The same word. Oftentimes you talked about Um, our relationship with Jesus or this yoke, this way is simply for eternal life or or we're going to have the Jesus relationship so we know where we're going when we die, right? Um, We often equate that with salvation. And Jesus would often say, come to me, I'm going to show you the way to full life. I'm going to offer you two things. And we we see it throughout scripture. I'm going to heal you or I'm going to save you. And here's an interesting thing that will help you read scripture differently or at least the gospels differently the same word for salvation is the same word for healing soteria in greek it is the same word so as you read when there is an offer of salvation which oftentimes we can kind of disconnect with that word and Mm -hmm. think that ah that's for the future that's when i die if you reword reread gospels and when you see salvation hear jesus looking at you and whispering i want to offer you healing which he did to the lepers which he did to the sinners, which he did to the outcast, and that every time Jesus says, come to me, I want to show you the way to healing, which is also salvation, same word, that can absolutely restructure the way you hear Jesus' words, offering you healing in the now. Salvation, sure, for the later and the now relationship with God, but it's healing in the now that Jesus is offering, and I, like, I all, when I read that and when I hear of Jesus' easy yoke and what he offered with healing and salvation... Is so powerful there.
1: And if you're like me, I used to read that passage and be kind of mad or think that I was like doing Christianity wrong.
3: Because
1: mm-hmm. I was like, this is not feel easy and light. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like what am I doing wrong here? Like I'm missing, I this is I just need to work harder. Like that's what I came away with, well, honestly.
2: The religious of the time pointed Jesus and said he was doing religion wrong, because <laughs> yeah. he was promoting something that they did not feel. Just like what you are seeing, what you are feeling, is that um, that cognitive disconnect. as I'm hearing about rest, and I'm not. And my religion is not ex- allowing ha- yeah. me to experience it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. All right. Are you going to read this new? Yes, our notes say. Ryan, okay. read the message Yes portion.
2: sorry, I went off notes because I geeked out on healing and salvation, and I hope that's a good nugget for you as you read. Um, all right, so this is from the message, and Eugene peterson is a is a Christian author and pastor for many years who actually um upset a lot of Christendom because he wanted to just paraphrase the New testament in in more modern day language um, and uh I actually love his translation of this section from Matthew 11. So I want to read this to you. So this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 11. And imagine him speaking to a tired and weary audience that feels like they all need rest in a a new year. Imagine that. (laughs) Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I'm gonna read that to you one more time. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now that sounds like good news to a rushed soul, right? Um, And oftentimes I feel religion doesn't come upon us feeling that way. But Jesus seemed to have an offering of a connectedness with God that was different than what um, the productivity of religion was pushing in, in his day. But what he says there is watch me and work with me. So then if we only take his words and don't look at his way, we will find that his words don't fit with our lives, and we can actually feel like Jesus and his words are irrelevant to today. But that's why it's so important to look at Jesus' way, the way he lived his life, and the actions in what we have as the Gospels, and partner them with his words. And that way, when we marry the way with the words, we then get to a different way of life. That's good. All right,
1: so we have one more question that we're going to Throw out quickly because we are running oh. short on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, here's a quick here's the last question for the evening. How does this
2: exactly. idea I know we're so driven
0: with time even <laughs> <Yeah>. now? Hurry, <laughs> just, <laughs> don't, don't do Thanks for just pointing out just that let irony. Us yeah. slow down and, and feel the unconscious rhythms until nine. Yeah.
1: I okay, fine. <laughs> I just feel tired, but that might just be the sangria talking. How does this compare, this idea of uh, rest and a nice-fitting grace? How does that message compare with what you have heard or understood about Jesus and religion and how we go about this task of becoming good people? How does this compare with what you have understood growing up about this? Go ahead and discuss talk amongst yourselves.
2: <laughs> we're breaking in. Because uh, I know, I know. I'm breaking up your conversations. I'm so glad that you're having them. Um, there's a how-to, and we're we're not gonna do it in the next five minutes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna label them. And then we have a fun and then we have a fun thing that'll get you some that will get you a cool book that we that hope that you read. And those of you that don't get the cool book for free tonight, get on Amazon. We'll tell you how. Um, it's not ours. We don't get anything from it. We just think it's good. And that's the whole purpose, is that we would be a presence in your life that points you to good and, and reconnects you to God. So there are ways. There are practices for rest. And in fact, um, this is a funny spiritual segment, because Stephen Covey, for most of you, probably don't, doesn't seem like a spiritual source. Um, he wrote The Seven Habits, of Highly Effective People, and just incredible leadership guru. But listen to what he says. He says, we achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. Mm. We achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values.
1: Gally likes that. Yeah,
2: yeah right? <laughs> Oftentimes, we don't have the time and space to reflect in life to have actually label our values. So we end up getting caught up in the pace that leads to complexity that Cody talked about earlier from Dan Britton, rather than an intentional focus that leads to simplicity in life. And if we want an intentional focus that not only leads to simplicity, but living according to our greatest values, one, we have to take time to define our values. What are our greatest values? Jesus says that there's one great value. It's love. It's to love God and to love others, and everything else is a far second. In fact, everything else will fall into place in your life if you are driven by love. Um, so here, is, uh, here are some four practices that um, are suggested in this book, and, and they're actually what John Mark Comer, he's the author of this book, he says that it's a rule of life, and oftentimes we don't like the, we don't like the word rule, um, but rules give structure. But they give structure to lead to something. It's not about the rule. He likens it to a trellis that holds up a a grapevine. That the whole purpose of the trellis that holds up grapevines, and Rachel and I got to help her family plant some up in Temecula. And it was so fun. And the whole time we were doing it, it wasn't to make these trellises look awesome and to make these grapevines look uniform and all the same. It was actually just to support the life that was going to grow these amazing grapes and lead to great wine. The whole purpose of the trellis was actually just to lead to great fruit in the life of the vine, no matter what they looked like, no matter what shape they were in, and then to lead to great wine. So a rule, a structure in life, or these practices, a spiritual discipline, some would call them, are actually just ways to lead to more great fruit in your life that leads to the true life, the abundant life. So here are four, four practices that are suggested. One is silence and solitude. When in your life can you create a time for silence and solitude? Because what we learned earlier, and Don was, Don was quoting Dr. Leaf, that, that we actually need that space to even mentally, cognitively make sense and reorganize our life um, so so that we can carry it on to the next day. Without that, we become fragmented. Does anyone feel fragmented in the pace of their life? Right? Do We don't make sense of how the stories connect, or we may not even feel that God is making sense and connecting A, B, C, and D. With a little space in our life for silence and solitude and reflection, we can do this. We see this actually in Jesus' life all the time. His disciples were... Off, Often frustrated, and it's so fun to read. Like, where's Jesus? He's sleeping on the boat. Now he's off praying, and we need to get to this town. And they're upset that he's, like, taking this time for silence and solitude, connecting with God the Father and re revisiting his values that are going to inform the next step. Can you imagine a life that rethought our values, that informed our next step, rather than just rushing to the next thing? silence and solitude and that leads to a second practice of Sabbath um, throughout Hebrew scripture um, throughout Jewish and Christian tradition there's a there's a there's a focus on Sabbath one day a week set aside for the purpose of rest and connection with God one um, they've been there's been a lot of rules around this and actually Jesus was an attacker of the rules on Sabbath because there were so many rules, it no longer felt like rest or connection with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard one great um, translation of how what can we do on Sabbath. Anything you don't call work in the week, you can do that on Sabbath. Because that will bring you rest and joy in your life. It may not look spiritual. That may not even look like going to church for you. But if that leads to a connection with God and rest for your soul, that may be exactly what you need in your week. And um, there's a lot in, in what we call scripture, the, the, the whole gamut, the whole collection of letters and books that are in the Bible that say we were designed for that. We actually have a weekly rhythm in our humanity and soul that needs a one-day connection throughout a seven-day week. Cody was talking about that earlier. The uh, third is Simplicity. We live in a very complex, driven life. And Cody, what was the Dan Britton quote earlier?
0: We drift toward complexity. We drive toward simplicity.
2: Drifting requires no effort on our parts. Driving, however, requires an intentionality. And if you want to drive towards simplicity to give rest for your soul and to live according to the values you have in your life, there is some effort there. Otherwise, we drift to complexity and we're like the forest gump, feather in the wind. I remember we talked about that on the podcast, mm-hmm. that just ends up going wherever. And at the end of the day, you're like, I just, my life ran me rather than me running my life, mm-hmm. right? So simplicity is a drive. And the last is slowing down. And I'll say that in this book, um, oh, I've got it right here so I didn't have to reach back there. Um, in this book, there's like 20 different ways that John Mark um, says, here are ways to just slow down in your crazy pace of life. And honestly, it's not about adapting any of these specifically, but, but I encourage you as we direct you to this book, if you wanna look further into ruthlessly eliminating hurry from your life, this is an incredible book. And we'll, we'll give a link to it in the follow-up from tonight, so you'll get it in the email. But um, there are 20 ways in which to slow down in your life, and they will be challenging for so many of us, absolutely. So um, we hope that uh, as you leave tonight, perhaps you'll revisit that um, what Jesus offers in a connection with God is is rest for your soul that feels very different than our hyper-driven society that bases your value on productivity and speed. Um, I also hope that you will hear of these four practices, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of simplification, slowing down, Sabbath, and maybe creating a space for silence and solitude, which could also go with journaling in your life too, which I'd love to point out, which I don't do. I see Brad here. He's great at it. This is, <laughs> it is a spiritual practice. He's shaking his head now. He once was great at it. Um, but uh, we just need to create more space to reconnect with God in our days and oh lastly this so Ken Blanchard called us before he's like I can't be there tonight but this is what I would say
0: you have to say what Ken I, Blanchard I right? know
2: because I told him I would because I'm like <laughs> Ken that is so good and I'm so glad I remembered right now because I was, I was like, going to have to tell him I forgot he was saying the greatest way to live life intentionally is looking, looking at your beginning and ending. So when you start your day, connect with the God who made you and say, let's live this day together. So encourage a, a connection with your greatest values and purpose of your day right when you start, before you reach for your phone or anything like that. And then at the end of the day, reflect. Say, where did I do great today and where can I do better tomorrow? So if we enter every day with revisiting what we're about and why and hearing a need for rest in our lives, may that then set us on a great path for the day. And then at the end of the day, reflect what I do. Great. What can I what can I be excited about? And tomorrow, what can I do better?
0: Hey, it's Cody again. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Um, Again, we encourage you to come to our next event at Mainstream Bar and Grill on March 15th, 6.30 p.m. It's free, and you can find more information about that on our website, uncommongoodsd.com events, or on our social media, at Uncommon Good SD. Make sure you get that SD in there for San Diego. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll catch you next time.